Hey, let's turn to the Bible, because what Jesus says is super important. In fact, it's the most important thing of your day, of your week. Jesus was the smartest man that ever lived, had the best things to say that you'll ever read, so why aren't you reading his words more? What did you read this week? Come on. How's that for some conviction? Gosh, how much time do I spend each week reading junk? And then the words of life are right here, and I just don't open them. So uh, if you, this one has chalk on it, yours may not, but uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one that looks similar to this in the seats in front of you. Uh, if you can avoid the temptation and get into the Word, feel free to use an electronic one. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Take this home, because what we're doing here comes back to this. I say this so often, but it's super important. I can, we can fill this room with magic tricks and hype and sexy thoughts about how if you pray, you'll get Lamborghinis and everything will work out for you and let's pray so that all these bad things go away and God gives us all personally happy stuff. It's, it sucks though. It's not real. We're going to come to the word of God. And so if we read what Jesus says, we have a basis. If you're just here to get, hear me get excited and to get your little motivation for the week, you're missing it. Open the word of God because this is going to last forever. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Matthew 7 today. We've been crawling through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been heavy, right? And it's not going to get any lighter today, spoiler alert. But um, we're going to keep wrestling through this because Jesus says that uh, you need to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. If you're a believer, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all I've commanded you. Obey all things I've commanded you. And so that begs the question is, if you're church people, look at me, Christians, church people watching from home, are you a Christian? If yes, are you obeying all things Jesus taught you? And that's how, what, what did Jesus teach me? That's why we're going through this, trying to make sense of what the gospel of the kingdom is. Uh, we've got some super famous verses uh, right now, at least the first part of it's famous because people quote it a lot, uh, even people who don't care about the Lord at all. Um, you've probably seen a Facebook meme, something on Instagram, you've heard an athlete or a famous celebrity quote this at some point. Uh, we're going to read it real quick, Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and then we're going to pray. So let's, uh, let's read this together. Here's what Jesus says. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do, some of your translations may say sacred. That's important later. Do not give dogs what is sacred or holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Just easy, light words from Jesus this morning, huh? Let's pray about it. Father, thank you that you have orchestrated our lives that we're gathered here, we're watching from home, we're, we're tuned in to you, and I pray that by the power of your spirit, your word would bear its weight on us, that we would hear your gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that the king has come, and that your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that we would hear that and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I pray that you would bleed out from us all of these biases and preconceived notions and ways in which we try to cram our own worldview into these scriptures. God, may we come to this open-handed, poor in spirit, trusting that your word tells us what is life, that you, Jesus, have spoken life. You are the way, the truth, and life. Give us wisdom now. May your spirit move. May we remember your words. Amen. The Barna Research Group and the Pew uh, did this big thing in like 2007, 2008, and then it's been redone several times. Uh, but in the early 2000s, everyone was afraid of a particular generation. Do you know who they were? The, um, starts with an M. Say it like you mean it. Some of you really don't like these people. Yeah, say it like you say it to your friends. Those millennials. Here I am. Ah, I can take it. Come at me. So, uh, they were so interested, and this has been true forever. Um, no one knows how to minister to people between the ages of 13 and 30, right? Some people call them uh, 
oh, uh, nuns, uh, N-O-N-E-S now, because like they, they are non-affiliated to any religious thing. Man, I'm just spiritual. I'm not a religion or whatever. It's just all over. And if you've been around the Jesus movement, the 70s, the 60s, if you've been around prohibition or, or however old you are, you have seen this kind of relived. It wasn't as sexy and popular as talking about millennials, but a lot of things people say about millennials, they said about hippies. Right? Shake my head. Yes, it's true. Like, look at a history book. Like, the same sort of stuff. Nothing's new under the sun, right? And some of you are like, I'm a hippie. I'm not a millennial. Don't put that on me, right? So it's okay. We're going to offend everyone today. That's the goal. So we, we walk into this, and there's this huge tension in the Christian world. Now, how do we connect to people who don't give a rip about being connected with and talking about Jesus? And this has been discussed as early as when Jesus was walking around. Like, like how, how, do we, how do we connect these people? Do we just call, should we call fire on them, God? Should we dust our sandals off? Do we throw pearls before pigs? What's this whole tension, right? And, and so the Barna Group, they did this thing. It's uh, 2007, I think. Again, it's being redone a lot. But they asked a whole bunch of non-Christian people, people who would not claim. Now, there's a ton of people that claim to be Christians that aren't Christians. Forget about it. They asked a whole bunch of people who would say, I'm not a Christian. They gave them a list of 20 words, 10 positive, 10 negative, And they said, what are three words that best describe Christians? Anyone want to take a shot at those words? Three words that best describe Christians. The first one. Yeah, someone said, we've, we've heard, I'm going to write uh, the one that Adam said because he was the closest and it's the first one on the list. Judgmental. Yeah, the second one was hypocrite. So judgmental, meaning they cast judgments on people. They say, this is the way you ought to live and you're not living that way and so we are the authority and judge. You've really biffed this thing called life. That is what it means to be a Christian. The second one is hypocritical, which is a just obnoxious word to spell without Google because there's eyes and critical and wise. You get it. You get hypocritical. It's there. Hypocritical. So they're judgmental, they're critical. I think the numbers were absurd on this, like uh, 90-something, and then, you know, and it all gets confusing statistics, because then um, there are three different categories, so one could be 90, one could be 80, whatever. But anyway, what is the third one? The third thing that are Christians. Christians are judgmental. We cast these judgments on people. This is how you We're hypocritical. We don't follow these judgments. We don't care at all, all right? This is what people say about us. What else? Selfish. Selfish, that's one. What else? Bad smellers. Bad smellers? Yeah. Spellers. Gosh. The third one is anti-gay. Anti-gay. Christian, raise your hand if this is you. Right? Okay. You are judgmental, hypocritical, anti-gay. Now, some of you are sitting there, if you're like me, and you just think, that, that's, not, that's not me. Those aren't the words I would use to describe myself. But we all know that uncle or aunt in our family who's that kind of Christian, right? We all know this person. Shake your head yes at me. We got to get real. All right, let's not fake this. We're not doing this fake hobby thing. This is real life, real Christians coming together as one body in Christ. So we know people like this, and we judge them. Right in Springfield on Friday nights, there's this big thing downtown. It's the art walk. Everyone goes down there. There's uh, different art showings. There's places to get free wine. There's coffee. There's crumpets. And I don't know what a crumpet is. Maybe it's something you drink with wine. But we'll say crumpets because it sounds nice. A crumpet. You have to say it like that. And, and there is adult men with beards and overalls that have sandwich signs that say things like, to marry a divorced woman is a sin. Uh, gays go to hell. Those sort of signs. You guys familiar with these sort of people? Yes. You, you guys, come on. I know you watch the news. You see these sort of people. Okay. So they've got these signs. Those are the kind of Christians we look at and say, oh, no, those people are biffing it, right? And we've got these people in our families who are judgmental, hypocritical, and anti-gay. Ah, but that's not, I'm a Christian, and that's not me, but we judge so hard these Christians who are that way, Right? And, and we don't even know, like, we're judgmental towards these people who are this way, but in some ways we're hypocritical of judging them because then sometimes we're this way, and what does it even mean to be anti-gay? And are there things we are anti, like anti-abortion maybe? And then like, okay, so then are we judgmental, hypocritical there? And it, see, it gets all this tension. I submit to you that no group judges each other harder than religious people. Right? Which, duh. I mean, of course, it's kind of like a logical obviousness because if you are claiming there's objective truth, oh, that's too, we're not going to go that route. Duh, philosophy and stuff. If you're claiming something's objectively true, then of course, then you'd have some judgment on people who don't believe it. So then you, we would argue, who cares? That's obvious. So there's this tension. Um, 
I want to throw out a few that I think are, are easy to judge that we do. Um, I'm not going to write them down. I'm just going to erase, but I'll talk about them while I'm erasing. So um, Christians judge Christians who need to get high to see Jesus. There's a whole group of house churches in Colorado who smoke the ganja, puff the leaf, do the dope, and that's how they connect with Jesus, right? Do the dope. I haven't said that phrase up here ever. So um, they, that's what they do. They get high to worship and connect to Jesus. And those, some of you sitting there would be like, gasps, my, 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 that's not how you connect with Jesus, right? There's that tension, right? And we would judge those people real quickly. Um, let's see, we, uh, what about Christians? There's a big tension in Jeff City 15 years ago. Christians who led Bible studies in the back of bars. Ooh, we shut those churches down real quick with the convention. No, you cannot lead Bible studies in bar. Right? There's that tension. Um, Christians who sue each other over who owns Windermere. Judge people with that really quickly. That one's not in my notes. That one's for free. Those of you who know your Baptist history. Um, Christians who voted for Hillary or Joe or Trump or Obama. Which is so quick. Politics get us judging each other. Baby birthing styles. I was in a church where it was a pretty big tension on whether you did home births or you submitted to the evils of the hospital, right? Because they'll rub goo on your baby's eyes and they'll pump them full of drugs, right? And you get out of the chute and you don't even know if you get your baby back and all these tensions there. Um, vaccinating children. That's a big deal, man. You want to get some homeschool moms fired up? Ask them if they vaccinate their kids. Uh, I just made a judgmental statement there, right? See, I'm going to upset everyone today. Uh, so many things. And then, of course, we talk about this stuff every week, so I think it's so important for you guys to wrestle through this. How we approach masks. How we approach COVID-19 vaccinations. Um, styles of worship. Man, some of you are like, that's not Scott Loring. It happened. It went through your mind, right? And we automatically, I love you. I love you so much. You know, you know we're at on this, okay? We're good. So that goes through your mind, right? Or some of you, like four years ago, are like, that's not Mark. Dude's loud. He just, he doesn't shut up. He talks so fast. Man, and you just, we compare. And we do this thing where we judge each other. Well, I really get something out of this service. I really do this in this service. I need to do these things. And we just judge each other and belittle each other and argue. We all do this judging thing. And unless you think you're the best person here, I wanted to start with, hey, these really awful Christians who do whatever, you know. I think that the way we judge Christians who we really despise, we can start walking into, man, maybe I do judge people a lot. And I hope as we walk through this that not only do we learn to define biblically what the word judge means, because it's a tricky word, but also that we acknowledge the humility. Just like last week, don't pretend like you're not an anxious, worrying person. You have things that make you anxious. You have things that make you worry. Jesus assumes that, right? Jesus assumes you struggle with judging. And I, I think biblically we can get there that it clearly happens. So as we wrestle with this, Jesus says we judge and we shouldn't. Why? Why should we not judge? And, and when we speak out against things that are wrong or harmful, how do we do that? Because some people would say, hey, hey, I, I, I want to get a divorce because I want to sleep around. So don't judge me, bro. I can do whatever I want. And it's like, well, as a church, well, hold on. We really value marriage and the sanctity of that. So, so oh, but we can't speak into it because we don't want to judge you. And so you do you, YOLO, it'll all be okay. And that's junk because Jesus clearly casts some form of judgment, right? We're going to look at that Greek word here in a minute. We're going to talk about what that means. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Let's just start, man. The very first verse looks like this. It says, judge not that you be not judged. I need you to read that. Just read it. Oof. Heavy words, Jesus. Got things to say. All right. So uh, because we need to talk about languages that are old and dead, then we have the word judge. Does anyone have their Greek memorized and know what that word means? Or what that Greek word is? Starts with a K. No? no? Okay, that's good. I studied it this week. I remember. So, Crino. Say crino. Crino, right? I think there's a wavy, tiddly thing over there. I don't remember. The big secret is I'm not that good at Greek, right? I just I study these things. Here's crino. Now, it has uh, a few different meanings. Um, we're going to start with the most basic meaning. It means to decide. Like all, I don't want to say all because Nathan might yell at me later because he studies Greek, but uh, like most Greek words, they have a lot of layers to them, and then depending on context, we figure out what that means. So it, it's, at the very basic, it means to decide something, right? Who has the best burger in Jeff City? Patties. My people. Who, who else? Though? Someone else would argue somewhere else, I'm sure. You can't. You can't argue somewhere else. 
Echo Lounge has a great burger. The best burger that I ate in Jeff City, after we experienced a lot of bad food in Jeff City, Echo Lounge was the first time we were like, okay, Jeff City's here to play. Here's a better one. You guys care about this. Who has the best pizza in Jeff City? Emo's. Emo's, Alley's. I haven't eaten Alley's. Aries, man, I would argue West Main, but whatever, okay. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? My people, stop it, Adam. My people. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? That's hard, that hurts. Yeah, you can't win. <laughs> See, it means to decide. You're making a decision. You all just made some decisions right now. Some of you made the fundamental wrong decision, but that's okay. You made a decision, and that's what it means. Krino means decide. You have decided. But Jesus might be saying something a little deeper here because he's not saying, don't, don't decide. Don't decide things. What a stupid life that would be. Of course you have to decide. Where are you going to eat lunch today? What seat did you sit in? Are you going to parent today? Yes, please. If you're a parent, parent today, right? But you have to make these decisions. So another version for this is it could be talking about judging. Now the word judging is difficult because you have a lot of different kinds of judges. If you have a pie eating contest and there's a panel of people who are deciding, what are they called? Judges. Now, would you want that panel of deciding who ate the pie the fastest with their face? Do you want them deciding whether or not this person should have their license because they've had 15 DWIs? The answer is no. You don't want those people who decide pie-eating contests if we should enforce DWIs on this individual who has 15 of them, right? So we have a different level of judges. You're all like, duh, why are you even mentioning this? Because it matters when we start saying, don't judge me, bro. What are we talking about? I think Jesus gives us a clue about what kind of judging we're talking about in verse 2. 7-2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure, the word measure, you use it, it will be measured to you. The judging Jesus is talking about here is something much more core, much more eternal, much more valuable. Another word that is very, very helpful when thinking about judging or crino is this word. Condemn. Maybe it has an N in it. We don't know. Condemn. Say condemn. Condemn. Checking my notes. It does have an N in it. Thank you. Those of you who are upset about it. Condemn. Do not condemn or you too will be condemned by God in the final judgment. This is a much closer translation to what Jesus is getting. Do not condemn. And that helps us with this tension of don't judge me, bro. Don't, don't judge. I can do what I want, okay? I wore this today. Back off. Last week I wore the yellow shoes. Everyone made me know that I wore the highlighter shoes. Y'all judge me for it. I'm still hurt over it. I'll get over it. But don't judge me, bro. They're my yellow shoes, right? There's that tension, and we need to say, oh, are you judging or are you condemning? That helps as we continue to unpack this. But here's the point. We love to condemn. We don't, I don't want to lighten this and say, oh, you guys aren't, aren't condemning. You're just casually judging. All of us love to condemn. Why? We love to create caricatures of people and classify them by something so we can belittle them, whether they're a scrug, a, jo- a scrub, a jock, a prep. A scrub is a guy who thinks he's fine. You know what I'm talking about, right? So we want to classify these people. We have these people. We push them down. We say, this is who you are. I understand you. You're a poor person who drives badly, who's probably a bad mom because you've got frazzled hair. This is who you are. You didn't buckle your child in a car seat this week, so you are clearly not going to heaven. We push them down and classify them how we want to. We love doing this because it makes all of us feel bigger and in control. And the reason I know that you love doing this is because this is the very first thing evil told Adam and Eve. You can be like God, knowing good from evil. All of us want to be like God, truly knowing, truly being the judge of what is good and what is evil. I can decide, and so I can decide if you've ever got an abortion, then I can decide if you've ever struggled with homosexuality, if you're whatever form of flamboyant you are, whatever form of politics you are. I can decide, I can classify you, I can squash you into a box, and now I've decided what is good and evil, and I'm in control. I am like God. How do you see it? It's so important because you've done that this week. And I don't, I don't want to be so forcefully the Holy Spirit in your life, but I watch your Facebook. I watch the way we interact with each other. I watch the world around us, and I doubt that our church is full of the 150, 200 people that happen to do all this right. We struggle with this. We do it all so quick, quickly. One day, I walked into the old Aldi's. Uh, you all know the old Aldi. Ugh, the old Aldi. I haven't been to the new one because I'm so scarred from the old one. But... 
pardon me if I've told this story before, but not really because we're telling. That parking lot is the Wild West. Like you, anyone can do anything in that parking lot, whether it's Hastings or I think there's, there's a dragon kitchen Chinese place over there maybe. There, there's, when you're in that parking lot, you literally do whatever you want and no one holds you accountable. And if you're someone who is a law-abiding, God-loving, fearful person like me, then you just get trampled by the Wild West just buccaneers, whatever you call those people, outlaws. Okay, so then you walk into Aldi, and then Aldi is, that first row of Aldi is a one-way street. I love you all, but if you ever went backwards on that, you're wrong. And the people that walked in that just had to wrestle with, I hate to pay to get in there because you got to buy your cart. So you walk in there, and so one day, I'm shopping for my wife, because I don't want her to take all four kids into Aldi, because I'm such a great husband. She, she can take all four kids anywhere and be more patient than I can in Aldi. It, anyway, I'm walking down the aisle there, two ladies walking towards me, which immediately is just like, ah! but anyway, walk up. And so I'm at the end where you need eggs and milk. Do you remember this setup in the old Aldi? You need eggs and milk. There's a lady, the door opens this way, my cart, Ladies' cart, ladies' cart. They're in between 27 and 40, these two ladies. I don't know. They're blocking the door for eggs and milk. And they decide to have a conversation about Walt Disney World. Raise your hand if you know how close Walt Disney World is to Missouri. It's not. It's a ridiculous topic for Aldi. No one cares, casual friends, how often you've been to Disney World. But that's their conversation. So I stand there politely like you do. And... Oh, you've never been. Well, let me tell you everything about Walt Disney World. And I have to, excuse me, excuse, and as I open the door, they're yelling through me and through the glass door about Disney World. I mean, I could have thrown every egg. I was, I was so mad. And you want to talk, this is a silly example, but you want to talk judging people. Both these women could have fell into the pit of the earth and I would have been fine at that moment because I was so fired up. Right? I was like, why in the world? Please tell me you have bad shopping experience. You can relate. Here's a better one. We're getting into this condemned world now, okay? This isn't just silly. Yesterday, I was driving back from Michigan. I think we actually started in Indiana yesterday. I don't know. It's a lot of road between here and there. So uh, at one point, if you drive a lot on the highway, people do that thing where they ride on your bumper because you're driving seven over. That was confession. <laughs> you're driving set like some of you may do. You're driving seven over, and they need to drive 10 over, right? And so they're just right on top of you. So I look in my rearview mirror. I'm literally listening to another pastor talk about the Greek word of judging. Like, I'm trying to study this and wrestle with it. So I'm doing all the holy things. They are right on top of our van. And so you slow down a couple miles an hour, like you do. Uh, and then I look. This person's bumper is, like, hanging off and, and strapped to the side of the vehicle. The headlights busted out. She has her windows rolled down on the highway, which means her air conditioning doesn't work, or she just really is fired up and needs to cool off. Her hair is frazzled. She's got a child in the back seat, assumably not strapped correctly. Again, here it is. I'm building this in my mind. And my mind says, you're endangering my family. You are less than us. You have a bad vehicle. You're a poor person. I think less of you. And so I'm going to slow down and make your life more difficult. Now, now you understand condemnation? I hope you can judge me now for how awful I am, and then you can apply this into your own life. How quickly do we look at people and decide, we judge, we condemn their actual value in all of existence because I want to be like God. I know right from wrong. Jesus says don't do that. I think James helps us with this. A lot of people have argued James can be kind of a commentary on Jesus' words. James was uh, arguably the brother of Jesus, and he uh, has a lot to say to kind of unpack Jesus' words. Keeping this Greek word krino in mind, let's look at James 4, 11, and 12. It says, do not speak evil. So he didn't say judge yet. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges, side note, we gotta do this. When the Bible uses word like brother, oftentimes it's a general neutral term. And at some point it was translated to brother, but that doesn't leave you out if you're not a brother. Because some of you will never be a brother because you're a female, okay? That's why some translations translate it to something like y'all, youans, or brothers and sisters, right? So if you see brothers up here, I'm not arguing that y'all sisters are out on this. We're saying general neutral term. I'm just putting what was in the ESV. This applies to all of you. Shake your head, Jess, good, okay. That's gonna drive me nuts every time I see brother if I don't explain it. So. The one who speaks against a brother or judges, Crino, his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges, Crino, the law. Now you're judging the law. What is the law? God's will. 613 laws in the Old Testament, Torah, 
This is what, how, how God set up his people to do what he desired. Okay, so now you become like God. You set the law. Don't do that. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. You're not one who seeks God's will to follow him, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who's the lawgiver and judge? The Lord. God. Are you the lawgiver and judge? Are you able to decide how frantic women should drive on the highway? Or how young, young gals should talk in Aldi? Or how people should vote? Is that, is that you? Are you the one who decides and is able then to condemn? No. Hold on. The Bible says don't, don't speak evil against each other. Who are you to judge your neighbor? I want to look at Revelation 20. We don't read Revelation enough because it requires a lot of explanation and a lot of bleeding out from preconceived notions that uh, a bad popular book series gave us in the 90s that doesn't quite help us interpret it, but that's beside the point. Um, Whenever we read Revelation, understand there's a lot of things to interpret here. There's a lot of symbols. It's apocalyptic literature. But I think you can just read this part and get it, okay? I'm not trying to make a claim about what's happening in the end times. I'm saying this is what the Word of God says will happen at some point, is happening, who was and is and is to come. Revelation 20. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged, Crino, by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Everybody dies once. Some of us die twice. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Who's able to judge? God. The Lord judges. And he judges you now, and he judges you a final time in eternity. And you either spend eternity with him in the world he's made for us to live eternally with him as he created us in a right relationship, or you spend it separated from him. Eternally punished, as the word tells us. The point is, not that, please don't walk here saying, oh, David said we're all going to hell. Yeah, that's there. Let's talk about that. But also, more importantly, in, when trying to understand what Jesus is talking about here, Jesus needs you to understand, you're not the judge. God is the judge. He's the one who condemns. You don't get to decide what the people you don't like, what value they have, what measure they have. That's not on you. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Interestingly enough, later it says the book of life. Who is life? Jesus is the way. John 14, 6. I am the way. 16, 4. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus goes on to explain this further. Let's look at Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5. God is the judge. We don't judge each other because we don't have the ability. We don't have that. We, we're tempted to do that, right? Genesis 3, we want to be like God. And so we try to press each other down. We try to control each other. Stop. You don't have that authority. God has that authority. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Do you not notice the log, uh, but do not notice the log that is your own eye? Or how can you see your brother? Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is going for the laugh here, okay? This is humorous. This is an absurdity, right? Because find a speck around you. Look around, all right? No offense to people who vacuumed, but find, look around. Find a speck. You see a speck? Here's a speck. Oh, perfect. It's a speck from that wood. Here it is. Raise your hand if you can see this. You can't, right? Okay, this gets in your eye. Can you see it? No, you feel it, though. Oof. Oof. That's important later. Jesus is talking about plank face, right? Bam! Do I see this? That's funny, huh? Huh? Jesus is wanting this. He wants this absurd image. This is so important. I had to carry this up here because we read this so quickly and we over-spiritualize it. So oh, the weight of sin. Sure. But Jesus is also talking to a whole bunch of scalawag people 
lowly people, and he's wanting them to understand. How silly is it, guys? You got that speck, and you got log face here. Oh, look at that speck in your eye. It's absurd. This is ridiculous, right? Because you got a log in your own eye. Jesus is trying to make you understand this absurdity. He's calling you into it. And I hope some of you get that, because we so quickly skim over this, because we've heard it preached about four or five times. But I think first we need to understand that this is just hyperbole. This is absurd, but it's meaningful hyperbole. Because Jesus has a point with a log face. He wants us to think about something here. He doesn't tell us not to speak about the speck. It's so important. He tells us not to condemn. He tells us to humbly look at our own log, that we've got things going on. Before you speak out about anyone else, maybe you should humbly acknowledge that you're poor in spirit, that you've got nothing to show. And it's not that you have no speck in your life and that you can condemn other people and climb above them. But actually, you've got plenty of logs in your face, your old log face, and you can't see. You're messed up. You're poor in spirit. Once you see clearly, then you can remove the speck. I think as Jesus assumes that we have bad vision, we're going to put that right there for now. Jesus assumes we have bad vision. Jesus assumes that we're not seeing things appropriately. And I think as we wrestle with this whole idea of what does it mean to condemn and don't judge me, bro, and crino, and, and what does it mean to be humble and acknowledge, well, I've got logs in my eye, but then people I love have specks in their eye, and I don't want to judge them, but I need to speak about I think John 3 helps us. John 3, 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, crino, same word as judge, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, crino, same word, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the verdict, crisis, it's a similar word to crino, same idea. This is the judgment, this is the verdict. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. We're all condemned already. We all have sin. We all have logs. We all have specks. We all got these things in our eyes. All of us. And Jesus just spent several teachings back to back to let you know, hey, you've heard it said, but I say. Have you ever, have you ever been angry with someone? You've murdered them in your heart. Have you ever, uh, have you ever lusted? <laughs> have you, it goes on and on. So you all got these specks. We ought to be poor in spirit, but we're not. All of us are condemned, and we will be judged by God eternally. So we said, God's the judge. He's going to judge. All the dead, they're going to come. He's going to judge them again. God will judge them. And some will be separate. But this verse says, God so loved the world. Whoever believes in him. Jesus is the light. The light has come. Do you see the light? Or are you looking at your own logs? Or are you looking at other people's specks? Paul carries this out over and over and over when we talk about eating meat offered to idols, drinking wine, all these different tensions. He says, hey, but look to Jesus also. How are you bringing unity in love? Are you looking to Jesus? Are we letting Christ guide how we look at the world. We all have stuff in our eyes. We're all condemned. Our eyes are bad. You see this earlier, Matthew 6, 22 through 23. Nathan preached on this. If the eye is bad, the whole body's bad, right? And so Jesus assumes we have the wrong vision. That's what the word repent means. Rethink about the things you think about. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Our vision is corrupt and broken. We are judged and condemned for our sin and for not believing in the light of Christ. Jesus is very concerned with how we treat each other. The first message we hear, don't, don't condemn. Don't condemn each other. Jesus cares so much about that, about how we make ourselves better, how we crush other people so we can feel above them, how we can criticize over create. God created us to create good things. That's in his image, right? He created good. This is good. This is good. This is good. This is very good. We were created in that image, the creator of good things. And we so quickly become criticizers. One who tears down judges those who condemn. I think one way to make this really practical that I want to help us see is to have Scott Loring on stage. That's really the only option right now. Scott, can you come up here? Please. Is that an option? Can you stand, like, right here? 
This is a 20 pound weighted vest. We're gonna put it on you. I love you. Love you. It's important to note that everything said right now is not specifically about Scott. Just, just to help us think through some things. Does this feel heavy? I'm more concerned about that can of LaCroix down there, really. Why is that there? Oh, man. This is your reward, or maybe your punishment. I haven't decided yet. We are so quick to judge people, whether Christian or not, to condemn them. I'm going to leave the word condemn down there because it's so important. And so we might look at each other and decide things like, man, you know what? <sighs> you got the vaccine. Gosh, dang it. Don't you know? Aren't you woke or better than that? And now Scott's wearing 20 pounds. He has to carry that. As the church, we've put that on him. You've got to wear that now. Shouldn't you have done better than that, Scott? Hold on. This one. This is 10 pounds. You'll be okay. Arm through. Nick, what about this? Originally, I was going to have Nate, so I had this example. Walmart. Nate buys boots at Walmart, right? Anyone remember that? Loser, double loser, whatever, Walmart shopper. Anyone? Come on. No one seemed clueless. This is just me. Fine, whatever. We put that on. Okay, Scott, you've got to shop at Walmart, right? Walmart's way better than it was back in the 90s, I guess. But put that weight on him. These are light, guys. Calm down. Yeah, and you, maybe you got a divorce, and you looked at porn once, probably, so write that up there, lust, divorce, what else, what else can we judge you for, Mr. Christian Human, here we go, I don't even know what that is, but it's probably heavy, oh, you're supposed to... You're supposed to hold these. That's important. Good job. Say, oh, oh, do you, how do you, do you parent God's way? Mm. What parenting path do you follow? Did you read Paul Tripp's book? I don't know. Part of it, yeah. Are you a Calvinist? I'm not sure. Did you shave your head this week? Probably. There you go. It's the big one. This is the big one. Pick it. Pick your thing, man. Whatever you're thinking through. What is it? Do you drink alcohol? Where are you going with that? <laughs> now, Scott, I want you to follow King Jesus. I want you to, someone over there is hungry, go serve them. Go love them. Because you've got to carry all this weight that we've put on you. That's you. This is what we do to each other. It's so important. I could preach the rest of the sermon and have him stand up here like that. I'm not that mean. Let this sink in. Because you do this to people. I do this to people. And it might not be him that ever feels the weight, but you feel it because you put it on them to crush them. And we've already classified them. And we've said, what, are you gay? Are you, uh, have you ever shopped at Walmart? Did you get a vaccine? Did you vote for Trump? Who are you? This is my classification. Are you a liberal? Did you grow up in Canada? Whatever it is. Just weigh them down and press them out. And then, and then what? Can I love Scott? What's the big thing Jesus said? Everything comes back to these two things. Matthew 22. Love God and what? Love your neighbor. Can I love my neighbor when I've weighed him down with these things? Be real. No, because now what am I loving more? How I've identified him. What I've said about him. Interestingly enough, Jesus died for all these things. Jesus took the weight of all this junk and said, man, you don't got to bear this. I'm going to bear it for you so that you can be seen as adopted by the Father, as forgiven. And now, how much easier is it to love other people, to go and serve, to treat other people the way Christ treats us? That's a big one. Oh, there's that one. It's okay. You don't need your face. A little different world, right? It's so, you can sit down now. Listen, I spent a lot of time putting this together. It's important. It's important to me that you catch this because you're putting weight on people all the time. Your spouse, your kids, the people who don't vote like you, the people who don't look like you, the people who have a different Facebook page than you, the people who don't work out like you. 
We just put that weight on people. And Jesus says the most important thing is to love God and love your neighbor yourself. And you cannot possibly love other people when you're condemning them, when you're putting weight on them. Now you see why Jesus cares so much about this. Now you see why the Bible is so much about Christ making things right and about God coming to say, man, you've put all this weight in the world. You've brought sin and death and punishment and you're carrying addiction and you're carrying doubt and you're carrying death of people you love and you're carrying all this junk. And you can't make it better. But then you go around judging everyone else as if you really are God, pretending like you're some mini-God who can decide. And Jesus is saying, you got log face. And you can't possibly get this fixed apart from Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Jesus is the one who makes us right. You're not the judge. It's not how we treat people. Can't possibly love. What about the speck? Some of these things maybe Scott really does struggle with. And maybe we really do need to speak into his life. Ephesians 4 helps us. Ephesians has a lot to say. It says that he gave some to be prophets, apostles, teachers. Um, God, there's five words. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, and then so that we wouldn't be blown around and tossed around by various doctrines. And so that we could grow together. And then in verse 15 it says, Rather, speaking truth in love, not condemning. Catch that. Speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Who? Into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Who speaks truth in love? We do. Who do we speak it to? To each other. Why? So we can grow to be like Jesus. What's the goal? The goal is to love God and to love others. You can't love others if you're putting all this weight on them. And you can't love if people are putting that weight on you, church. How often do we do that to people? We're so quick to say, oh, well, they got a divorce and their son's probably gay. Come on. Are you, can, are you, are you the judge or not? What about instead if we said, how do I speak truth in love? Because truth is still truth. It's not relative. It is still wrong to approach things that are apart from God's order. It is still wrong to walk into a divorce apart from what God has designed. It is still wrong to lust, right? These things are still wrong. But how do we speak truth in love? Because that looks a whole lot like carrying weight with Scott. That looks a whole lot like saying, let's look to Jesus, the only one who can remove our planks and specks. That's what we're to do. So when you notice these things, church, don't go the other direction. I'm not going to judge anybody. I'm just going to love everyone. You can't love people if you're not speaking truth in love. If you have a friend who's walking through a divorce and you haven't looked at them and said, this is wrong, you're missing it. If you're watching an affair happen in our church and you say, I saw that coming, and you didn't say anything, you're culpable. Because speaking truth in love looks like loving people enough to say hard things to them. In love. If you've ever parented a child, you get this. If you've ever been around a noisy kid that drives you nuts, you know, hey, I want to correct you from being an obnoxious little child, but I also want to love you because I can't kill you because I love your parents, right? Like you understand this pattern. It's the same pattern for the church. We can't overemphasize this enough. We must love each other. But Jesus is saying, you're not the judge. You can't condemn each other. We can't grow to be Christ together when we're putting all this weight on each other. We can grow to be like Christ for looking to Christ to remove all of our weight. We need the humility to understand we've all got plank face. We've all got wood in our eye. We need Jesus. Verse 6 is super complex, and I wish we had an hour to talk about it. And this morning I almost said, we're just going to do a video on it. We don't have time to talk about it, but we need to talk about it. So we're going to walk through it. And if you disagree with me, I've got eight other opinions on it too. Acknowledge that. Jesus said difficult things, and some of them seem pretty clear. Some of them are hard. So here we go. Verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is holy or sacred, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and, uh, and turn to attack you. There's about two options I think are, are appropriate here. I'm going to give you the first one really quickly, but first we need to understand a difference. There is a difference between parable and allegory. You English people, right? Just shake your head. You understand. Parables, right, are stories in which the overall meaning is seen not in the details, but in the collection of what it all means together. An allegory, everything means everything. 
You just every little thing you pick apart, and this means this, and this is, I think about, uh, was it Plato's allegory of the cave? And like everything means something. This is not an allegory. Don't get nuts here. Who are the pigs? Who are the dogs? What's a pearl? Maybe we can figure those things out, but Jesus doesn't tell us, right? And so we can nitpick culturally, but I honestly can't tell you what every first century person who listened to this assumed a dog was. I don't know that. Historians don't know that, because that's, that's not how history works, right? We put together the best evidence. We try to make decisions. That being said, there's a difference. This is a chiasm. We know this, uh, ABBA thing. Yeah, chiasm. It's a structure where these things relate. If you've done poetry, you understand like there's an ABA rhyme scheme or whatever. Similar to that, but in Hebrew writing, this is called a chiasm. Say chiasm. Thank you. So what means is B connects and A connects. You follow that? You say that cool thing with my finger. Pew, 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 pew. Right. So do not give dogs what is holy. They'll turn and attack you. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. They will trample them underfoot. Right? Does that help you know what it means? Me neither, but it's interesting. So there's there. Okay. Now, two options. Some scholars believe that Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. And there are Gentiles mixed in there, no doubt, because the lines on that get really blurry on how Gentile you were and how Jewish you were. And obviously, in the temple, it really mattered. But to some Jews, they were cast out and considered Gentiles, but they were actually Jewish. So it gets tricky. But some people argue, you know what? This is a little separate from everything. And what Jesus is doing is he's taking the side here to encourage, hey, the Gentiles aren't ready for the gospel yet. One thing I can say for sure, all people believe, sanctity, holy, what is sanctity, holy, that's the gospel. Later on, Jesus has a parable about a pearl being buried. You find it, right? Um, this is the gospel. So one interpretation here is, hey, the Gentiles aren't ready for this yet. This is, this is for later, after the resurrection. We're going to see in the book of Acts how this all happens. Maybe that's true. Um, I'm probably only 30% there on that, but I feel like it's worth mentioning because there are a whole lot of scholars that believe that, and I think it's a fair interpretation given the context of what we're looking at here. Here's another interpretation. If you're really familiar with this whole idea of like, don't give the gospel to people who don't want it because they'll kick you in the eye, and then, okay, now you're being the judge again. You get to condemn who's who. Stop, okay? Let's talk about this. What do pigs need? Farmers, they need pearls. Raise your hand if you've given a pig your pearls because that's what it needs. Literally no one. You give pigs, what do you call it? Sloth. What's troughed? That's what they eat out. Thank you. I was trying to wait. What's that word? So, uh, right, uh, the pig comes and they eat slop out of a trough. Now we're all farmers, right? Okay. Do pigs need pearls? No. What it, dog owners? There's some of you fur baby people. You love your dogs, right? What is one thing you can give your dog that'll just always make it wag its tail and super giddy? A treat, right? You give it a treat, your dog's happy. Do you give your dog pearls? No, because it doesn't need that. I think, and again, there's about seven or eight interpretations for this, and I think only two of them are appropriate. I'm leaning this way, and here's what I think, and I think it connects to everything. I don't think you're adequately loving someone when you force give them something that they don't need. And I can make this go as extreme as saying, hey, you know who needs water right now? A lot of the undeveloped world. They really need water. And it's really foolish for us to go over there and just throw the gospel at them without providing water because by giving them water, we're giving them the gospel because it all connects, right? And so there's some of that there. I think that's a little bit of extreme. But in general, I think it's fair to acknowledge so often when we hold sandwich signs that say, this is how you're sinning. It's not an appropriate way to communicate to people. Because pigs and dogs have things they need, no matter how you think of them. They have things they need. They don't need pearls. And the gospel is a pearl. Everyone needs the gospel. But we need to have wisdom with how we're approaching people. Because we can't love people if we're condemning them. And we can't love them if we're throwing things at them that they don't need. The way we define it. Okay? Shake yes. We're on the same page with that. It's complex, right? And, and Jesus is saying some things here. I think it's complex. I think that we can at least know that he's offering a nugget of wisdom here. You want to get people fired up really quickly? Shove things in their face they don't, they don't need or they don't think they need. Maybe there's some wisdom in how we love other people before we decide we're the ones who condemn, we're the ones who judge. We're going to move towards a time of response. I want us to remember a few things as we respond this morning. Uh, Excuse me while I move my log. We, uh, we all have broken vision. We all see things corruptly. Jesus assumes that. You've got a speck, you've got a log, look at the log in your own eye. We're seeing things corruptly. And maybe God brought you here today to acknowledge you, you have broken vision. You're seeing things inappropriate. 
And before you just say, oh, I judge people all the time, or everybody's judging me, everybody's condemning me, that's what you said, I've had a divorce, you literally wrote Walmart up there, and I shopped there this week. Like, whatever you put on yourself, stop. Because Jesus' point is that there is one judge, one lawgiver. There is the will of God. And one day, God will judge everybody. We're all going to die. Some people die twice. And if you believe in Christ, then when God looks at you, he sees one who is righteous, one who's redeemed, not someone who's carrying all the baggage of their sin and death. Not all the baggage of the condemnation we put on them, these trite little things to make ourselves feel better. When you believe in Jesus, that's what happens. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not written in the book of life. You're, you're not being made new by him. You are carrying the weight of your sin, your condemnation, and you will be judged. So maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you need to respond today and say, man, I've never trusted Christ with my life. I've never said, Jesus, I've got planks in my eye. I've got sin. I've got, I need you to forgive me. I can't do it on my own. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you just need to acknowledge that you're not the judge and that there's people in your life you create caricatures of. Some aunt, some sister, some child, some spouse, some coworker, some person on Facebook. We just create these caricatures and judge people and press them down and then they're like Scott carrying all this weight that they don't need to carry and we can't possibly love them because we're judging them. Love your neighbor as yourself in Christ. We still speak truth and love to each other. And maybe that's your message today. Maybe there's someone in here you need to speak truth and love to. But in general, we need to love each other enough to speak that truth and not condemn each other. I hope this week, like me, when you find yourself judging people, you're quick to say, oof, did I just condemn that person? Am I deciding good for evil for them? Am I the one who is able to, or am I speaking to them in truth and love? Am I calling them to look to King Jesus? This is why we do the Lord's Supper and we do it. It's a celebration to declare only Jesus can remove our logs, only Jesus can remove our spots. As we take time to respond, may we think through how we condemn others and how we're all condemned, how we speak truth and love. May we respond and seek Jesus this morning. God, I pray that you would guide us as we respond to you, as we respond to your word. Help us make sense of what it looks like to, to not judge others, to not condemn but to speak truth in love. God, teach us that balance. Give us wisdom, as your word tells us. Help us make sense of throwing pearls before pigs and, and dogs. God, give us your wisdom. We want to see stories of redemption. We want to see you change uh, the, the, our city, our, our street, the people around us. We want to see you change our life. I pray that you give us that humility. May your word move in us now as we approach you to respond, as we quiet our hearts, as we sing to you, God. May your spirit speak to us. Amen. If you need to pray, if you need someone to talk to, come up here. We'll talk to you.